0: Good day, Don's fans. Jonathan Walsh here and welcome to our round seven preview of Don the Stat. We're recording a mere 48 hours post-Anzac Day. The emotion of a 28.3 quarter time lead finishing in a 13 point defeat at the hands of the Pies is still simmering above the surface. Despite that, we sit four and two, fourth on the ladder with a healthy percentage of 120%, having played the other three clubs in the top four and a short turnaround to Sunday when we face the Cats at the MCG chat
1: through it all, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, how's things, mate? Uh, like most of people I imagine listening to this, I'm still feeling pretty flat after Tuesday. Uh, it's a bit of a different experience recording for us this week. Normally we have four or five days to process a result before talking about it, but it's only been two and, and the result is still really raw. raw. Uh, there are a lot of positives out of the match, but that last quarter is going to hurt for a while. And then looking ahead off a five-day break, we come off, against the reigning premiers who are on a roll with three big wins on the trot.
0: Yeah. We're, we're normally pretty good at letting the emotion die down, aren't we? And and just sort of break the game down and talk about it for what it is. But it, it's definitely a lot more difficult to do that this week than, than normal,
1: but we'll, uh yeah, we'll do our best. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started, just thanks to our new patrons, Ben Dunn and Paul Hobbs for their support on Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find a link to our website in the description of this episode. All right, well, let's rip off the Band-Aid and get stuck into this Collingwood review. Now, our friends at the Windy Hill Windsock Podcast made the point that they were quite glad they weren't us having to look in-depth at this game. Uh, It'd be easier not to do it, but it's important to really dig down into the things that worked and the things that didn't so we know what needs to happen moving forward. So, as always, we'll start by going over our points from the previous week, what we thought we needed to do. The first was to don't allow easy overlap handballs, we really wanted to get in the Pies face in our forward half. So one thing that was really noticeable and a couple of people that I've interacted with on Twitter have also been picking this up is that we really kept the Pies to short kicking game to move the ball from their back half, which isn't what they want to do. So they took 110 marks, but they were generally making so low progress moving the ball. So what this allowed us to do is to set up and prevent damage from the back half. So if you look at the scores generated from the Pies defensive 50, they had three goals for the game and only five scores total. So that's quite low for the Pies and and the way they do like to play. By contrast, we generated six scores from our back 50. So we were more effective at moving the ball through Collingwood's full, full ground press than the Pies were against ours. Yeah, I
0: suspect we're going to preface a lot of things in this review with for three quarters because, uh, you know, the reality was for three quarters we were pretty good and, and for one, uh, things really dropped away. We we kept them, as you mentioned, to six goals to three-quarter time. But realistically, I think that press was really good for two and that was the the first and the third quarter where we kept them to one goal each, which, you know, if we're looking for positives to to have two quarters in the game where we kept the pies to just one goal and, and in the first quarter it was – a goal they should never have got, wasn't it? You know, right on the siren, you know, we could have gone into quarter time having held them goalless. And that came from uh, them winning back possession just forward of the center. Draper gave away a free kick where he really really should have just got the ball out of bounds. So, um, so yeah, I think a good outcome in, in quarter one, their one goal in the third quarter came from a turnover in their forward 50. So in that, in those two quarters, quarter one and three, where we went inside 50, 31 times and kicked nine goals. So we gave them, 22 opportunities to rebound and go coast to coast and kick a goal and they did not
1: mm, That's really pleasing again. It's something that's been a big focus, especially considering what happened for Essendon the previous year. And then we were also able to then turn the ball over in our forward half and convert that to scores.
0: Yeah, it wasn't just that we stopped them from you know, getting out and scoring. Is is We stopped them from getting out altogether. We kicked two goals from forward half turnovers in the first quarter and three in the third quarter, along with a goal from a forward 50 stoppage. So that was the one where Draper um, pushed out into space for Stringer. So yeah, we we stopped them from scoring coast to coast and then we actually prevented them from moving the ball past the center a number of times and were able to kick goals ourselves. The second quarter wasn't as good. They kicked four goals for the quarter and three of those did come from coast to coast transitions. and, And one of them came from a kick in. So, you know, the first three quarters wasn't all, you know, uh, rainbows and and unicorns, but there was some really, really good football played. Uh, and, uh, you know, as good as the last quarter was from them, and that's the one that everyone's going to remember, uh, uh, you know, people are going to drill down about, we're going to cop some criticism for it. The third quarter was equally as good for us. We had as many scoring shots in the third as they did in the last. We kicked 6-3 in the third quarter. They kicked 7-2. So both teams had nine scoring shots of the quarter. They were slightly more accurate. They were also able to take the one really good look at goal they had in the third quarter and, and kick a goal, whereas we weren't able to score one in the last. So it, you know, that was probably the difference in the game in the end o- overall. But as I mentioned, we kicked three goals from those forward 50 turnovers in the third quarter, another from a forward 50 stoppage. The other two goals coming from defensive transition. One of those was a kick-in. So, yeah, I think it was uh, that third quarter was some of the the best football that we've played in a long, long time. And I think we should should be really uh, not not satisfied because we didn't get the outcome that we like, But we should take some confidence that that uh, offensively and defensively, because we created goals from from pressure and turnover. Our best football stacks up. The, the big challenge for our club now is being able to take that for. Two to two and a half quarters against a really good side to being able to do it. Do it for three, three and a half quarters, and ultimately four. Um, uh, the the difference in in their game was in the last quarter, two hours in the third, was that their dominance really came from centre bounce and, and stoppages. Um, so yeah, that how we went about it compared to how they went about it was was a little bit different, but but ultimately both teams had a really really dominant quarter of football.
1: Yeah, and speaking of dominant, we, we can't go past talking about this player in, in Nick D- Dacos. He's the talk of the AFL world and obviously a well-deserved Anzac medalist in the end, particularly given his impact in the final quarter. We did really want to do some work on him, not not tag him, I don't, as you sort of suggested pre-game, and I think what you've seen with your own eyes has sort of suggested this, that it's almost impossible to tag him the way that he plays and the way that Collingwood plays around him. Uh, But really to try and get between him and the clearance and and try not to get caught flat footed against him. And I mean, you're going to talk about this a bit more, but we saw right from the opening bounce that Stringer went to him and and really tried to rough him up a little bit. Obviously, no one was expecting Stringer to run with him for the entire game, but they put a big strong body on him to, to try and block his run at those moments.
0: Yeah, for three quarters of the game, it wasn't really uh, a worry, was it? Because we got out to to 28 points and, um, you know, regardless of what Dacos was doing, we were, you know, we were winning the game. I think first and foremost, what a player. That's the the first time I've seen him live this year. And yeah, that that was really, really impressive. Like you, I was a bit surprised that it was Stringer that went to him, but, you know, pleasantly so. He went and stood at him before the first set of bouts. Put some body on him, you know. Gave him some niggle. He wasn't overly aggressive with him, but I think just, you know, we we tried something to be a bit physical and and also give him a dangerous player to worry about. So, you know, it, we we've had a crack. He, he still had eleven disposals in the first quarter, but six of them were in the defensive fifty. He only had the one inside fifty in in the first quarter, and you know we we all but um, restricted them to to zero goals for the quarter. So I think you know, whatever we did in the first quarter, whether it was just giving him something to worry about, being a little bit more physical and 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 having a good player on him, you know, seemed to to go a little bit of a way to to curving his influence, albeit he's still got plenty of the ball. But he just doesn't stop running. You know, he went through the midfield, he went forward in the last quarter. He's got uh and there'll be some people that probably won't like me saying this, but he's got that James Heard mentality about him where he just won't allow himself to fade out of the game and he'll just go and will himself from contest to contest. And, you know, he doesn't necessarily throw his head over the ball or, or do it in a real physical way, but he will go and win it when he needs to, whether it's contested or otherwise. And to be honest, mate, I'm, I'm none the wiser having watched him now. In fact, I'm probably more confused on, on what any team can do to stop him. I'm I'm sure someone will come up with a way, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm much more
1: impressed than I was already uh, by how he goes about it. I imagine, the way to stop him is probably in the parking lot and the way to the ground It's probably the best way at this stage. Yeah, I think they've got rules against that these,
0: these days. There's, there's rules against everything.
1: Yeah. Uh, another thing we were focused on was not letting our forwards get sucked too far up the ground and... I think we were fairly successful at that. If you look at our, our main forwards, other than Perkins, who slightly had more of his possessions in the defensive half of the ground, 54%, uh, the remaining forwards, Wiedemann, Langford, Menzie, Davy, Snelling, Stringer, all had 6 percent of their possessions in the forward half. So we really kept the ground big so that we we had threats there. And obviously, a lot of the, our forward entries did end up in the hands of Darcy Moore, and there's some work to do there. Uh, but I think... The thing that probably let us down there, even though we had our forwards in in the forward line, was that we were really relying on Draper and Phillips to be those outlet kicks so we could link up the defence and attack when we couldn't get easy ball out of our back 50. Uh, between them, they only took one mark for the day. So, obviously, Collingwood put a lot of work into them, really bodied up Phillips especially, uh, got stuck into him, much like he goes into other players uh, for us uh, to sort of wear them out. So, yeah, again really well thought out by Collingwood and we didn't get as much of an advantage as we may have thought pre-game from those players.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've seen Phillips get pushed off the ball as much as I did on Tuesday. I don't know whether that was a little bit of fatigue. It, it, like you, I, I certainly think it was something that that Collingwood went out with an intent to do. It was another one of those ones that was okay for three quarters, wasn't it? I thought Perkins and Wiedemann in particular were really effective at getting up the ground and being a target for our our mids and our halfbacks. and I mean, he's only played a few games, but uh, certainly took some really big strides in terms of the games that he's played at Essendon. And I thought he he had a really good game for the most part. I thought our wingers also did a good job, but in the last quarter, it really fell away. You know, when we needed an outlet kick, we needed space to move into. We rarely had one. We, we couldn't find or get any link up or momentum. And, you know, partly that was... That the fault of our defenders and, and the way that they move the ball and lack like some composure, but also partly due to the fact that we just weren't able to find a target to take a contested mark when we really needed one or or even just a force to throw in to give us a bit of breathing space.
1: Yeah. Well, look, let's let's hit up the elephant in the room and, and really dig down to what went wrong in the last quarter. You've had a big think about this. And, you know, even despite the 28-point the margin, there were – fairly even in terms of stats going into the final quarter. Inside 50s were fairly close. Clearances were fairly close. Uh, what changed in that last quarter that meant the 28-point lead became a 13-point loss?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think this is just about what went wrong for us. I think we need to also acknowledge that Collingwood are very, very, very good at this. In fact, they're probably the best in the competition at it. They kicked the last seven goals of the game in round one to beat Geelong by 22 points. So they've gone and done it against the reigning premiers in in round one. Late last year, they did it a couple of times as well. They kicked eight of the last 11 goals against Melbourne in round 21, win by seven points. And then you know one that most of us would have enjoyed, they came from 24 points down at three-quarter time to beat Carlton by a point in round 23. So They just have this unbelievable belief that from whatever position they're in, that they can get themselves back into the game and they've got a system that they know and they trust. They had seven players with 150 games of experience or more to our three and and four of them were running through the midfield. And I think that's really telling in, in those sort of high pressure situations. I do like that Brad Scott trusted Hobbs and Caldwell in the last quarter and and put them into the midfield. He, he probably didn't have a lot of choice, but still, he he did go with them. Um, you know, their game, you know, game eighteen and game forty respectively. Durham thirty-three games, Martin twenty-seven games. So we did give real responsibility to young players, and I think Brad Scott's been really clear on saying we're not going to sacrifice the the now for, or sorry, not going to sacrifice the future for the now. And and I guess he could have. Uh, put additional burden on the likes of Sheehan and Parrish. He could have left set field in the midfield and, and not moved him back. There were some other things that he could have done that, that maybe would have given a slightly better outcome. He could have put um, Stringer into the midfield for a bit more, but he did really give that trust to, to Hobbs and Caldwell. And, and it certainly wasn't effort that, that let them down. And, you know, granted we did have Sheehan Parish in there, but, but the Pies mids were Pendlebury, who's played 364 games, he obviously went off injured in the last quarter. Side bottom, game 295. Jack Crisp, game 206. Tom Mitchell, game 177. And Degoe, game 142. So they just had big bodies, experience, been there, done that. And then they went and sent extra numbers to the contest that had more rotations through the game, superior fitness and experience, and, and they just outworked us. And And they won the ball at the contest and were able to get it on the outside and spread. Whereas when we won it... and. You know, Darcy Parrish had the most contested possessions and the, the most disposals in the last quarter. So again, this wasn't about effort or intent or 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 having a go or, or anything like that. The difference was when he won the ball, he was just swarmed upon. He couldn't spread. Cedarfield wasn't there creating space for him because he was he was shifted down back. Merritt wasn't there to link up. He had Hobbs and um and Caldwell and and at times, time Shield as well around him and you know, in the end, ten, nine of his ten disposals were handballs and he just couldn't create anything under the pressure that that Collingwood applied.
1: Yeah. Was there a key moment that you thought the game changed and you could sort of sense that it was slipping away from us?
0: Uh, yeah, I, look, I, I wasn't resigned to the fact that we were going to lose until the siren went, to be honest, because I think we've shown some really good resilience this season, despite what... Um, you know, despite how the last quarter transpired. And, you know, we, we won't go through this goal by goal because I don't think that's particularly fair to to anybody, you know, us or, or anybody listening. But I think the first goal that the Pies kicked was kind of indicative of what happened for the rest of the quarter. It, it took Pies a minute into the last quarter to get the ball inside 50 for the first time, which, you know, is sort of neither here nor there. But if you remember it, um, Zerk Thatcher sort of dropped back and and dropped a mark that he's taking been taking all year and and in fact all of last year as well and he was well protected I think he had Draper Ridley and I think it might have been Kelly or, or one of our other Defenders around him so it, it was pretty much an uncontested mark and he sort of got under it a little bit but um fell through his fingers and and instead of taking that mark we had an extra um uh, an extra player in our back 50 we would have been able to to sort of show some composure, control possession for a minute or two, move the ball up the ground, get some field position. We weren't able to do that. And instead the the pies got a ball up 20 metres from goal. And I'll be clear, this isn't Sir Thatcher's fault. I think it's just indicative of what then happened for the rest of the quarter uh, at the stoppage. The pies pressed up. Twenty-seven of the thirty-six players on the ground were inside the port. The the pies forward fifty, so they really did go and flood their own forward line and press all the way up the ground. The other nine players are all forward to the centre, and and most of them were just on the fringe of the fifty metre line. So, yeah, so the the pressure really was hot, and and when we won the clearance, uh, and it was Heppel that the ball sort of came out to. It, he looked up and there was no one there. There was there was absolutely no one to, to kick to. There was no numbers on that side of the ground and and all he could do was was what he did. And that was sort of kick the ball high and wide. Um and and I suspect the intention was for Perkins to get some time to kind of get across and force a throw in, but the ball just, you know, floated out of bounds on the full sixty minutes, sixty meters, sorry, from their goal. And and there were just numbers everywhere then for the pies, and it, it was completely disorganized. And, and Frampton took that mark floating across in front of Draper. Draper couldn't get a run at it. Zirk uh, Thatcher couldn't get a run at it. And and you know they, you know, they kicked the first goal of the quarter, and and sort of got the momentum from there. And and you know I think overall there were there were four things that we just couldn't get right for the quarter. When we won contested possession, we couldn't spread. And then the Pies won it back. So when we did, you know, win a, or not even win a clearance, won a contested position at a clearance, we couldn't clear it because, you know, Parrish or or Hobbs or or Caldwell would have two or three Collingwood mids just jump all over them and, and they'd win the ball back and get it to the outside. Obviously, when we did get goal-scoring chances, we we missed them. Wiedemann had a chance to, to kick one right after the Pies got their first. Menzi had a good opportunity and then Draper had one that, you know, we we really, really needed him to kick and, and we just didn't take them. Uh, I think we fumbled and, and missed critical tackles at critical points. At, and that was all players, wasn't it? Like it wasn't necessarily senior players or inexperienced players. It was sort of a little bit across the board. And and then that just robbed us of opportunities to control possession and, and catch a breath, which, you know, it was a hot day. It was really, really high, intense football uh, and, because we weren't quite clean enough and, and we weren't able to to um to win back possession and get any spread or space, we just weren't able to to catch a bit of a breath and and it just meant that we were defending for for pretty much the whole quarter. So I don't think it was that our game plan didn't stack up or or that our structures didn't stack up or even that our, our team necessarily fell apart. I, I just think this was the first test that this group has had under that level of pressure and intensity when we were able to apply that same level of pressure to the pies in the third quarter, exactly the same thing happened. They fumbled, they made mistakes, you know, think of Maynard uh, turning the ball over. Was that for the first goal in the third quarter, maybe Mm -hmm. from the kick in where he sort of, you know, crumbled a little bit and, and toe poked it and Wiedemann picked it up and, and kicked a goal. So we were able to do the same thing to them for a quarter in, in a really high intense game and generate nine scoring shots. And then, they were able to do the same thing to us um, in, in the last quarter. And as I mentioned, the, the, the real difference in it was that when when we had the momentum in the third, they were able to get one goal as a bit of a circuit breaker, whereas when when they had it in, in the last, we weren't able to do the same. And, you know, ultimately there's a, you know, sort of a two-goal turnaround, isn't it, and, and a 13-point differential.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we spent a fair bit of time on that last quarter, but as you said right at the start, going through this game there's a lot to talk about that did go well and we'll just finish off with that so at least everyone's finishing their thoughts on the on the pies game you know on a positive note and for the first three quarters snm were defeating their second flag favorite in a row because of their structural setup you know the ability to deny the pies the center of the ground was really impressive much in the same way we denied it to melbourne so yes the pies could move the ball from defensive 50 to inside their 50 but most of those are really slow and i think it's really indicative of how Brad Scott wants us to defend at this early stage, put on a lot of pressure as they're exiting defensive 50, so they have to go slow and they have to go wide, and then you roll back, take take the let them take the time to move forward, but it allows you to set up your, your defensive 50 so you have the opportunity to win the ball back when they do go inside and then push forward, which we've got some pretty good uh, talent to be able to do so in players like McGrath and, and Redmond. So I think... Structurally, as you said, for the first three quarters, it worked really well to set them up and deny them the easy shot. So they'd only scored 16 times from their 44 entries up to three-quarter time and Essendon 19 from 41. So we were more efficient going forward than than the Pies, even though they'd gone in more times. You mentioned the second quarter. Well, we responded, you know, as we did against Melbourne. You know, they kick the first four goals of that term. But again, Essendon's able to steady and turn that momentum around. And again, really pleasing signs that, that they're able to do that.
0: Yeah, that's right. And like we've touched on, the, the last quarter will get a lot of focus, and, and rightly so. But yeah, we, we shouldn't lose sight of the third quarter and how good that was or, or how good we were at defending the ground for a lot of the game. Touched on it earlier, that, that is genuinely some of the best football I've seen us in a long time. In a game that was as intense and and hot as I've, and I don't mean hot temperature wise, although, you know, sitting in the Shane Warne stand, um, it's been a while since I've needed sunscreen at the footy, but it was just a, a real intense game of footy. And and for a lot of it, we, we handled it really well. Uh, we just, we unfortunately aren't ready yet or weren't ready on, on Tuesday to sustain that for long enough. The thing that I liked about the third quarter most of all, mate, was it was a, a, a different type of football from us. When we've been um, dominating quarters in the past, it's been through that burst from the centre square, you know, Draper or Stringer really bursting out of the centre square or Shield uh, and and hitting up targets. That wasn't how we kicked goals in the third quarter on, on Tuesday. It was Territory, defend from the forward half, create turnovers and, and kick goals. There was, you know, some really good individual work at, th- at that stoppage. We, we mentioned where Draper tapped the ball out to space to Stringer uh, to get a stoppage goal. But the other thing we saw in that quarter was young guys step up and, and kick goals under pressure. Perkins you know, basically ripped the ball out of Stringer's hands, didn't he, when he uh, when they got that free kick and and kicked a goal from outside 50. Like that's just really good maturity from a, a really good young player who's prepared to put the hand up and say, no, I, I want to be the one to to step up and kick a goal for us. You know, Davey didn't get a lot of chances near goal, but when he got one in the third quarter, he took it. You know, Menzies had a couple of moments, uh, you know, on the run that he'd probably like back, but again, he, he, He took a really good mark in the fore pocket and and from a tight angle, you know, went back and slotted the goal. So, yeah, some good moments from some young players as well.
1: Absolutely. And a great moment and thought to finish on there when it comes to that game. Well, look, let's start looking ahead to the round seven game against Geelong. And as always, we start with some memories of Geelong games past. And as always, I put... Had on Twitter for people to give us their suggestions. And our favourite listener from the 1800s, Albert Thurgood, uh, was aged to point out a game that he played in in 1900 where he kicked four goals in a and win. Uh, I'm not sure any of us were there to see it, but I'm sure he was a great performance by him. Uh, Andrew Park and Quick Sprint pointed out the Centenary game with Buick's nine goals. Uh, that's always a, a favourite of a lot of people. Uh, ben and Paul brought up the 2011 win which came after a five-match losing streak for Essendon uh, that season. And it was obviously against the side that would go on to win the flag, a really fantastic performance there. And another one that always comes up when talking about Essendon versus Geelong, uh, Carl and Clint brought up Salmon versus Ablett in 93.
0: Anyone who listens to us who isn't on Twitter and isn't familiar with the Albert Thurgood account is going to be really, really confused by by that one. But um, yeah, thank you for sending that in, Albert. We appreciate it. Uh, that 1993 Summon and Ablett game is is one for the ages, isn't it? it that's one that isn't just one of the best Essen Geelong moments. I, I think it's one of the, the all-time great games of football. Uh yeah, you don't see that anymore, do you? Um that was that was incredible. And yeah, Buick's nine goals in the centenary game is sort of a bit of a happy sad one for me. Michael Long was, you know, one of, or or if not one of my footballing heroes particularly around that time, and, and he also did his knee. So, we got Buick back from a knee injury. He kicked nine, but but also lost Michael Long, which was uh, a bit of a shame.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's start looking at Geelong a bit more modern times. Um, obviously, we're coming up against the reigning premiers, and last season they were undefeated from, from round 10. So, really went in through the final season with a lot of momentum, and, and that carried on through uh, until that grand final where they smashed the Swans. So, they had a bit of a, what most people would consider to be a premiership hangover by losing their first three games against the Pies, Blues, and then the Suns. Uh, but they've won their last three against the Hawks, Eagles, and Swans. Now, the first two of those wins, you would argue, were against pretty soft kills, but the Swans is a little bit more impressive, although the Swans have had some injury concerns these past few weeks, Um so instead of considering their stats from last year to this year, considering they've had three wins and three losses, I thought the best way to approach this was look at the key points of difference stat-wise depending on the result and get a sense on what worked for them in their wins and, and what was the struggle for them in their losses. So regardless of the result, they've been a really good centre clearance side, they're plus 1.5 a game there. So regardless of whether they win, have been winning or losing, they've been doing well at the centre clearance. For me, the thing that really stood out was that When Geelong have won the game, they've been quite good at stoppage. So, they've been plus five in stoppage clearance when they've won the game. In their losses, they've been minus eight. So, that's a massive differential. So, that then flows onto their contested possession numbers, which are plus 12 in wins and minus 15 in losses. And then the uncontested stats and marks have similar discrepancies depending on the win or loss. And something that I think reading some stuff about Geelong that Tom Stewart said they were really focused on, in these past three weeks is really getting those contested ball numbers up. And it's really played a key role to their, their recent success there this season. We've also been able to generate significant marks inside 50 in their wins. So across their three wins, they've averaged 21 marks inside 50 per game. Uh, If you look at the stats, win or loss for any team, that's the highest in the competition. basically, my understanding from looking at the stats and watching some of Geelong's games is they've been successful when they've won the ball around the ground at stoppage and then they use that to control the play to allow them to create marking opportunities in their forward line and their forward line is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, it is. They're really big on on winning the ball back and then uh, uh, not giving it back to the opposition until they can get an opportunity to score. So they, they do sort of control and, and defend a little bit with ball in hand. They're a hard team to get to properly get a hold of, aren't they? You know they lost to the Pies after getting run down. We, we touched on that before. So uh, you know the Pies are the you know second on the ladder and playing really good footy. So does that you know eight point loss you know stack up in terms of form line? They then lost to the Blues, you know who were going okay early and it dropped away. So was that loss a good one or a bad one? I'm not really sure. The loss to the Suns is definitely a bad one because we know how the Sun season has sort of play, played out from there. Their only other win this season was North Melbourne last weekend. So, you know, that's not good. They beat Hawthorne and West Coast, who you'd expect them to beat. And, and then they smashed the Swans, albeit a Swans team, missing some really important players. Uh, and, and you know, the Swans have also failed their three big tests this season. They lost to Melbourne by 50, Port Adelaide by two points at home, and then Geelong by 93. So, it's a hard form line to read, but I'm certainly not prepared to suggest they're they're on a decline from what we saw in 2022 because they've just got way too much class still in that team. Uh but there have been some some list changes. What what's changed overall for them?
1: Yeah, so just thinking about the major changes. Uh obviously Selwood retired and was such a warrior for them over such a long period of time and set their standards, particularly over the last ten to twelve years. Uh Dalhouse and Higgins Retired as well. Uh, Cooper Stevens was traded to Hawthorne. And then, obviously, Essendon's picked up Quinton Narkle for their VFL side as he was delisted. Uh, of those players, only would played a key role in their premiership, so they've managed to keep their flag-winning core together. And two, they've added uh, Jack Bowers from Gold Coast, uh, Ollie Henry from Collingwood, and Tanner Broon from GWS. Uh, and they also managed to pick up Jai Clark, uh, who was selected at pick the pick seven they were gifted by Gold Coast in that very weird trade. Uh, So, Clark is yet to feature, and Broon was dropped following the loss to the Suns So he played the first three games and hasn't featured in any of their wins. But the other two have found a place in the Geelong side to start the season, which is pretty good when you're trying to break into a flag-winning side. Uh, Henry's probably been the most impactful. He's kicked two goals in every game other than their loss to Gold Coast, uh, and he did kick two goals. That was coming on as a sub against the Hawks. Uh, Bowers missed the opening round, but has played every game since. And he's filled a role mainly at halfback. He's averaging 17.5 disposals there. But as, as I sort of said, when I started going through the changes, none of that's really impacted the structure of their side. You know, the two pillars of Cameron and Hawkins are still performing strongly. Cameron, at this current rate, is an outside chance to kick 100 goals as well. So, you know, all the pieces from last year are still there. And, you know, it seems like based on the past few weeks, the hunger... To for success is still there,
0: yeah. And I think Dangerfield's a, the other one of their their star players who's arguably playing better, uh, you know, in the first six weeks of 2023 than he did in, in 2022. So, uh, I think, uh, yeah, their, their stars are certainly shining,
1: yeah. Well, we spent the first half of this episode talking about one. Uh, loss that's seared into the memory. Uh, and we're going to bring up another one, which is our last game against Geelong, uh, opening round of last season. Uh, we all went in with very high hopes and they were all sort of dashed by the end of the first quarter. Uh, overall, Geelong, 2018-138, defeated Essendon 11-6-72. And the game really set the tone for the early part of the season and we never really recovered from that. Uh, Essendon were really hesitant with the ball, really content to chip it around. So they had 56 more uncontested possessions and 43 more marks in that game, but they were smashed in the contest. So they lost the contested possession by 42 and clearances by 24. Though Both those losses there were our biggest for the season for those stats. Don't want to go too much into players, but obviously the one shining light of that game for Essendon was Nick Martin playing one of the best debut games ever um, with 27 disposals and five goals and really let us know that we made another great decision with our supplementary pick.
0: Yeah, and just over 12 months on, he had a really good game on Tuesday, I thought, up against some some really good wingers uh, for Collingwood. But yeah, I think that was yeah, one of only two highlights that day, Nick Martin kicking five, and then the other one was me winning a cricket uh, premiership so yeah I think mate let's move on and, and get to 2023 because it uh, feels a little bit strange only having to wait 48 hours this week for selection given uh, what happened last week they made us wait almost till the morning of the game before the teams were announced but how's it played out this week?
1: Yeah so we've actually got some selections to talk about this week rather than speculating Uh as it's a Sunday game obviously it's the extended bench so for Essendon in has come Zach Merritt, Nick Hind, Harrison Jones, Massimo D'Ambrosio, and Anthony McDonald, and Woody. Uh Jaden is out with a shoulder. Uh Dyson Heppel has been managed. Uh, and then last week's sub of Ben Hobbs is still in the side. In terms of the interchange, where you'd expect the uh final four players to come from, Hobbs, Hind, Jones, Alan Davy, uh Phillips, D'Ambrosio, McDonald, Tippin' Woody, and Menzi are all named there. And then when you look at Geelong, they've brought in Segler, uh, Parfit, Brune, and Beuse. Uh Cam Guthrie is out injured, uh, and their last week's sub is Mitch Nevitt, which was uh, also being named on the bench along with Bowers, Simpson, Segler, Henry, Parfitt, Brune, and Buse. So, uh, yeah, big big out for Geelong with Guthrie out, but they they probably have a fair bit of depth to cover him, and and some of those names coming in are you know fairly. Handy replacements.
0: Yeah, I think it is a, a big loss for them, but it's a bit of a luxury to be able to bring in, you know, one of Brandon Parford or Tanner Bruin in as a cover. So, uh yeah, d- nice position for them to be in. Uh, I know it doesn't mean too much, but Langford has been named at half back. He did start there on anzac Day with laverde out. It looks like we're probably going to see him play back there this week with either. Hind or D'Ambrazio replacing Heppel as the the sort of seventh defender, maybe seeing a little bit of wing time. I, I suspect. I wonder whether we might see Phillips rested this week and and Jones to replace him and and Wiedemann to to take the second ruck duties. Geelong have brought in Segler. They they rucked uh Blitzars and De Conning last week. I, I imagine DeConing will slide back into his key back role and um and Slegler will ruck with Blitzars. Uh so yeah, hard to know, but I think we'll we'll be looking to get some fresh legs in, won't we, after a short break?
1: Yeah, and based on the selection, I think the way they want to handle that Geelong forward line is to really, as much as possible, avoid the ball getting down there. They haven't brought in a, a, you know, anyone resembling a key defender to replace Laverde. Obviously, they, they had options potentially. You know, really, Baldwin... Uh, Reed's only come back for a game Hayes is, is really new so and and Stuart is you know does he even exist anymore we're not sure um, so there's really few options in terms of replacing what Laverde can do and so it seems like they're going to try and win the ball at the contest and, and deny them entries and you know it's easy to say that as a, as a plan on paper, but to, to actually execute it, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. And you imagine at some stages Geelong are going to get on top in the contested area, and then they're going to have those uh, chances to make most of their their quality forward line. So you were, you mentioned this before the Pies game that he- you expected Hep will be managed for this game, and that helps avoid any media regarding him being dropped. Um, like you, I suspect that Phillips won't play, and it'll be a Draper-Wiedemann combo. If I was to pick the, the four players from listed on the bench to be playing in the game, uh, I would have Hobbs as that extra body around the contest, as we talked about earlier. Uh, contested possession and uh, stoppage clearance has been a real key to Geelong's revival over the last three games. So we, as much as we can, we, we need bodies around there. Uh, Jones in as an extra tall forward with Wiedemann playing as the second ruck, uh, as well as the seemingly Langford going back. Uh, I'd probably lean towards Hind over D'Ambrosio, uh, given that he has had a couple of, especially against Melbourne, he, he was successful as a the sub there, but I'd have him on the ground. Uh, and then one of Menzi or Davey is the final player on the bench, and I'd have the other one of those as the sub.
0: You didn't mention Waller there, mate. Do you think he's a chance?
1: Well, as, as you sort of mentioned to me before the game, he's still struggling to run out of VFL games. I'd be surprised if he was... Named on the ground, he could be the sub uh, instead of one of Menzi or Davy, in my view. Um, yeah, I has I w- I, w- I wouldn't be prepared to bring him in for a full game at this stage, and I think that goes against the way that Brad Scott has as coached and selected sides. He wants to, he picks players who are capable of performing for the entirety of the game as as much as he can. Um, I think bringing him in for a full game at this point is not feasible, considering where he's at fitness wise.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. They, they might choose to use his experience around the group with Heppel out. And, you know, Laverde is a relatively experienced player who's out as well. So so they might want to use him as a sub just so that we've got some experience to come on if it's needed. But I, I'm with you. I couldn't see him running out of full game at this stage. Uh, let's go back to the Cats, mate. You, you took a chance to have a look at them against the Swans. I, I saw most of it. Uh, let's talk through it.
1: Yeah, so Geelong's last game, uh, and we were recording when this was happening, so I was checking the score and my mouth was dropping a bit as they I actually tipped the Swans. I thought they, you know, for some reason I talked myself into thinking they might be able to to challenge them and they've got a good record down there, but that certainly wasn't the case with Geelong 2010-130 defeating Sydney 5-7-37. It was almost a carbon copy of the grand final. The match was over early. Uh, Geelong took their foot off the gas in the last quarter. There wasn't much in the way of scoring then. They'd done the damage by then. Uh, so, the clearance was generally even, uh, but the Cats dominated all the other metrics, including possession, uh, both contested and uncontested, inside 50s and marks inside fifty. So, they had 22 marks inside 50s, only five for the Swans, and they also won intercepts by 12. So, it was a complete domination of Sydney there. Um, obviously, Sydney had a really depleted defence. Uh, neither of the McCartans or Rampy played. Uh, Cameron and Hawkins both kicked five goals. Uh, Dangerfield, you mentioned earlier, had 31 disposals. And then Tom Stewart had seven intercept possessions. And Radigalia is uh, starting to finally become a settled player in the Geelong lineup. He cut off a lot of their attack. He had four intercept marks to the game, and he's been a really strong intercept marker so far this season for them.
0: Yeah, he has. He's been a bit of a find back there. Uh, You mentioned clearances were even – they were. the, The Cats dominated clearance scores, though. They scored 57 points from clearances to just 10 points for the Swans, 27 points to eight out of centre bounce. So yeah, they they just really got lots and lots of ascendancy out of out of clearance. Uh, and then the other thing that they did really well was they just pressured the Swans into making mistakes coming out of their back half. They kicked eight goals, five from forward half turnovers. So it was as dominant as dominant performance as you could expect to see, and, and it's now propelled them to the number one scoring team in the competition after six rounds.
1: Yeah. So, look, obviously, that's a, another big challenge for Essendon coming up this week in you know, what seems to be an endless stream of big challenges uh, over the past couple of weeks and, and looking ahead. Um, and I've brought these players up a couple of times because I, I just see them as the big threat for Essendon this week. And obviously, especially now with Laverde out, um, our defes- defensive deficiency, lack of a big body defender to take a player like Hawkins, although to be fair, there's very few defenders in the history of the game that he's been playing that have been able to handle Tom Hawkins for strength. Um, And then you've got Jeremy Cameron, who's arguably the best player in the competition. He's both a threat in front of goal and he's also getting up the ground and impacting games. So, I mean, I guess, how do you approach dealing with that?
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a challenge for us, whether we had La Verde or not, mate. I think it'd be a, a challenge for us if we had prime... Dustin Fletcher and and um, Sean Wellman. But uh, I expect unless someone like Wiedemann goes back to to play a role, which he's done from time to time at, at the Ds, that we're going to just have to use Ridley as a key position defender this week. The Cats typically use Blitzars through the midfield when he's not rucking. So where most teams have a, a second ruckman who's a, either a, a genuine second ruck that plays a bit forward or they use one of their key forwards to pinch hit in the ruck, uh, Blitzars is a little bit different. They use him a bit on the wing. They even use him as a center bounce midfielder. So I don't think we'll see him forward unless the Cats really do have a plan to, to try and stretch us, which if that is the case, we're we're going to need to adapt. But yeah, Ridley has surprisingly good closing speed, which probably lends himself to taking the Cameron matchup with then with BZT to to Hawkins. It's just something that we're going to have to to do our best to adapt to it. We don't have a, an obvious answer at the moment with, you know, Laverde injured and, and then also, you know, Reid not ready to, to come in and and play. So yeah, I I think we're just going to have to adapt and make do with what we've got. I I think really though, it's going to be on our mids and and our forwards to make sure that Geelong don't get provided too much easy ball uh, because, you know, Hawkins and, and Cameron are, are difficult to stop at the best of times, let alone if you're letting Dangerfield and the like, just really rush out of the, the midfield without any
1: pressure on them. Yeah. So I guess what do you want to see this week when it comes to the mids and forwards pressuring?
0: Yeah, look, it's a, a really short turnaround, obviously, against the reigning Premier. And and whilst you hope it's not the case, you'd understand if we're a bit flat this year, sorry, this week after what happened on Tuesday. So I'm keen to see how we respond overall. Zach Merritt back for us and Cam Guthrie out for them does give us a little bit of an advantage. Zach's obviously our captain. He's an important player and and, and Guthrie's a, a really good player for them. I'd like to see Setterfield return to that defensive midfield role with a particular focus on restricting Dangerfield, particularly at stoppage. He's he's the midfielder that has attended the most centre bounces for them this season. Tom Atkins is next and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to, to Merritt. And then it's Guthrie who's third, who's not there. So so Dangerfield will burden a lot of the load. He's had 23 set of clearance wins this season. It drops down to Guthrie and Blitzar's next for them at nine. So big drop off 23 to nine to their next next best. He's had 80 contested possessions. Blitzar, Guthrie, Atkins are equal second with 47. So, you know, he's the best part of double them for contested ball. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think restricting Dangerfield at clearance and contested ball is, is going to be a little bit of a key for us here. Teams have gone about it in different ways. Collingwood and Carlton just really went to work on pressuring him. He's still got some of the ball. He's still got contested possessions and clearance. But they were able to reduce his kicking efficiency to 44% and 37% in those two games. For contrast, the last two weeks where they've had big wins, it's been up at 80%. So, you know, you, you give Dangerfield the opportunity to explode from a contest, get space, and, and – and kick without pressure, then he's gonna really, really hurt you. Whereas against Gold Coast, they just restricted his clearance game. They they didn't give him access to the ball. He won just two clearances to the match. So I think uh centre field to to danger as a not necessarily a hard tag, but that defensive role at stoppage, I think is going to be really important. And and if he can minimize his impact, then without Guthrie there, it it does leave a void to the next couple.
1: Yeah. And I guess another player you mentioned there is Atkins, who is someone who I don't think gets the credit he deserves uh, at this stage of his career, especially, you know, you're in the shadow of players like Dangerfield and, and Selwood last year, that's going to happen. Um, but he's currently leading their way in terms of stoppage clearance. And as we sort of identified earlier, that's been a key part in their wins Um He's also had some defensive roles, as as you mentioned, and uh, we would expect that he would play pretty close to Merritt, and Merritt's going to take him to the ball anyway. So you imagine he he could still be effective as a clearance player, even if he's mining Zach. Um, You haven't mentioned midfield rotations as a whole yet. I'm guessing that's a key part of what you want to focus on.
0: Yeah, we've become a little bit of a broken record talking about this, but I think it has to be uh, this week probably more than any, given the short turnaround. Collingwood rotated seven midfielders on Tuesday. We used six. So, you know, that was an improvement, but part of that was forced with Laverto going down injured and then Cedarfield going back and Hobbs coming onto the sub. So it wasn't a true sort of six rotation. It was really only five at at any given time. Um, And even within that, um, Stringer really only attended four. So, uh, you know, it was the best part. of It was four and a bit, really. Um, So, you know, with Merrick coming back, I hope we don't revert back to that four-man rotation. I hope we keep... Well, in, in the mix. I hope if Hobbs plays, he's in there too with Stringer rotating and I'd add Perkins as well. I'd, I'd really try and, and ramp up the rotations this week just to keep fresh legs through the midfield. It's a short break. I know Merritt will be fresh, uh, but I think we need to just share the rest of the load and just give the Cats something different, particularly offensively to, to worry about. Stringer and Perkins had different dynamics and, and we know what Zach Merritt can do. So uh, yeah, I, I'd really be trying to extend that this week, and then just to finish, mate. I think it's if he comes in, I think it's an important role for for Jones on Stewart this week. We've seen Jones do some really good roles to to kind of play a bit decoy and take opposition interceptors away from dangerous areas. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a big one because if we if we allow Stewart and Co to intercept, and, and Stewart's one of the best in the competition, then it is going to make it a lot easier for them to then move move the ball forward and 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 get the ball down to their big key forward so i think uh, yeah i i'd expect jones to come in if i was picking the same team i'd certainly bring him in to play alongside Weedham and 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 give him that that job on on stewart to try and restrict his influence
1: yeah it's the next challenge isn't it i mean we we spoke a lot about the clearance game and if we can get on top of of clearance that'll give us a chance but you know oppositions have the most time to set up their defensive structures at, at clearance, whether that's centre bounce or at stoppage. And that's when players like a Stewart or a Radagalia are at their most dangerous. So if we, if we are able to get on top at at clearance, then both how our forwards move to, to separate and create space, but also delivery into the forward line so that we're not allowing those sort of players to get the opportunity to cut it off is going to be really key to at least challenging in this match.
0: Yeah, that's right. I completely agree.
1: Mm. All right. Well, look, let's move on to our final thought for this week. And besides just on the scoreboard and unless we're in the same situation again on Sunday, uh, how do you assess if you approve some of the facets we've spoken about, about what led us down on Tuesday?
0: Yeah. I, the main one for me, man, I'll be watching how we move the ball out of the back line and, and whether we can regain and, and retain composure against another team that's really good at, at pressuring forward of center and, And also whether or not our forwards do a better job at at presenting up the ground when we need targets coming out of the back line. So, you know, hopefully we can restrict them, you know, restrict danger, danger field, restrict Stewart, put some of these things into place and have a really competitive game and, and and get another win, but ultimately I think we see improvement on on addressing some of the things that let us down last week and and or on Tuesday. And, and the one for me was just that composure in the back half under under real pressure. So that heat's going to come. I'm looking to see how we handle it
1: yeah one of the interesting things that Scott said uh post match I can't remember it was in his press conference it was on AFL 360 that in some ways it was almost better that they they ended up losing that match rather than just scraping through a win because it's easier for him to point out what went wrong uh, and get the players to to understand that compared to if they had just just won the game the reaction of the players, Will be different so you know I'm hopefully we're in the same position this week as we were against the pies where we're five goals up going into the last quarter uh so that we get an opportunity to see how they do respond in that situation when again you've got a, a team that's going to put a lot of pressure on uh and have a lot of powerful scoring options how you respond and are able to handle that and if they've improved in a week in dealing with that yeah, Cole Langford
0: was on AFL three hundred and sixty in the lead up to the Anzac Day game, and and he mentioned that they they learned a lot out of the St Kilda game, and they really drilled into the details of it, and took a lot from it, and and put some of those things into place the following week and beyond. So, you know, you're right. It, no one wants to lose a game, particularly under that circumstance or or on that stage and against you know that that opposition, but the the opportunity to to take something out of it and and really break it down it, it's a bit of a sign that we've got a, a team that is or, or a playing list that is really hungry to learn and get better and 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 hopefully not make the same mistakes you know on repeat
1: yeah absolutely well look that's gonna end us for this evening Jono, any final words from you. Uh, no, short and sharp, mate. Just uh, thank you to
0: yourself once again, mate, for keeping us organised and and doing all the heavy lifting with uh, run sheets and and editing and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into the background, mate. So thank you to you for for that. And and again, thanks to everyone who's listened and messaged and reviewed and um and done all of those things. We've been really overwhelmed by the response over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, thank you for for everybody for your support.
1: Yeah, and I probably don't do this enough, but thank you for all the work that you put in. Uh, you know, you you made the you made the hard call, you had to go back and watch the the game again and, and do your Twitter review. And uh I think people get a lot out of that stuff and then what you obviously speak about in, in the start of the show, going through what went right and what went wrong in the game, and I think it helps give people a lot of perspective on what's actually happening, uh sort of getting past the emotion of of the loss and really you know, trying to take things out of it. So, uh, again, really thanks for all the work you do. And, again, same from me. Thank you to all the listeners uh, and people who we interact with. Um, I I find it a lot of fun most of the time. So, yeah, other than that, uh, everyone stay safe. Enjoy Sunday and go Dons. He's got to make sure that
0: Essendon... Maintained possession. He goes for Hill. Not able to mark it. Wojcicki, but Bombers with good numbers. Jetta with speed, with a bit of creativity. Collier knocking on. Cramery, was it clever or not? We'll find out in a moment. He's got it again. He goes for Davy. Duncan in his path. Davey gets out. Collier again. Mumphries, Melkson, Bombers.
1: The Bombers have got to be home now.
0: Refused to let this one go.